We're going to start off with a little activity, as I do sometimes, um, a little game. And uh, I've got two questions. Uh, the first one is, um, I want you, and this is, uh, I'll, I'll even pull up the online church here. Give me a second. See if I can do that. If you're online, you can do that. It's good to see you. Uh, 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 Colleen and Denise and, and, and others uh, online. All right, so here's a question. I'm going to uh, throw out some names of uh, pastors or Christian leaders who are famous or infamous, whichever you are into. You know, the, the, the bad ones are almost more interesting, don't you think? Anyone listen to the Mars Hill podcast? Anyone? No? I haven't either. But my wife did, and I uh, hear it's good. If you haven't listened to it and you're into uh, church stuff, um, it's the uh, rise and fall of Mars Hill, and I uh, hear it's fascinating. Uh, th- throw, out a, throw out a famous pastor, or infamous. Let's hear some. Jimmy Stewart. Jimmy Stewart. All right. Billy Graham. Billy Graham. I went to one of his... Crusades once, and I, I, he was so compelling, I wanted to give my life to Jesus again. I don't even know how to explain it. There was definitely something about him. And it was such a simple sermon. What else? Who else? Rob Bell. Rob Bell. Oh, I like Rob. Anyone else? Joe Graves, that's funny, yeah. T.D. Jakes. T.D. Jakes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Christy says, Joel, Joel Osteen? Yeah, all right, yeah. Great, great place to be a plumber, I hear. Anyone follow that news story? They found a bunch of money behind a wall. I don't know why, but yeah. Yeah, look it up, plumber, Joel Osteen's church, found like $100,000 in a bathroom wall. I'd like to know the story behind that. Anyone else? All right, second question. I want you to name someone in your life, who's had a big impact on your faith that few other people would know? Just shout out their name. Sarah. Sarah. I don't know who these people are. I can name a few. Catherine. Now their names have left me. Mike, my art teacher in high school, happened to be a Christian and I happened to be really into art. It was a good combination. Taught me how to paint, and a little bit about what I meant to follow Jesus. I remember that being very impactful. Jack was a Youth for Christ staff member. He ran a wilderness ministry. There aren't many of those. But I got to learn about God in the context of memorizing birds, which was actually very rewarding and uh, pretty cool. Anyone else? Janet. Janet. Let me see. We got a few here. Mark, Laura, online, names we might not recognize. We're starting a series today called Many Gifts, and 
In this series, we're going to talk about how God has created us uniquely and that we have a role to play. But we can't talk about it without addressing the fact that in our culture and and throughout history, certain gifts and certain personalities have been elevated above others. The reason why there's famous clergy is because, you know, there's a variety of reasons. We're not going to unpack that entirely. But one of the pieces of that puzzle is that we elevate certain gifts over others, and specifically preaching and teaching. And and some of this is unavoidable. For the most part, I probably know more people in this community, or at least more people in this community know who I am. I might not know you well, but you know who I am, and you probably know me better than you want to because I'm a little too transparent. But you know me, but you might not know each other. And so part of the position makes me, you know, a little bit well well known. And so part of the position and certain gifts around teaching that are up front can be, but there's also this culture of personality. In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing a letter to the church in Corinth. You don't have to put that up yet. I'll, I'll, I'll ask for it. But um, there's, he's writing a letter to the book in, uh, in, in the book of uh, to the church in Corinth, and um, early on in the letter, he addresses the fact that there are already cultures of personality starting. There are people who are really big fans of Paul, and people who are really big fans of Apollos, and, and then there were those super spiritual people who just followed Jesus, and they don't follow anybody, and all of them were built around cultures of personality. And then he goes on and later and unpacks one of the problems with that, not all of them, but one of the problems in regards to elevating certain gifts above others. I had a chance one time to uh, attend a church with a friend. Um, he was a friend. Uh, he, was, I wouldn't, he wasn't quite a friend, but he was somebody that I had tried to build a relationship with a little bit. I was in high school at the time. He sat at the table um, that uh, kind of the slightly different people sat at in, in, you know, in high school. And so I hung out there too. And um, he, was a little, he was a little different and I, I found that interesting. And so he invited me to church. Now I'm a pastor's kid, so I grew up in church. But he invited me to church and I go to his church and his church was a full gospel church. Has anyone been to a full gospel? Well, you didn't know. You've been only getting half gospel until you go there. It is, it is full. And I... You know, I, I, I kind of experienced it from two perspectives. Um, one perspective was a sincere desire as a young high school Christian who took my faith maybe too seriously to experience the universal church, right? So there's a sincere, like, I wanted to experience other, I wanted to experience different kinds of church. The other part was the anthropologist in me that was just like, this is really interesting. It was a church where you spoke in tongues. I don't know if you've spoken in tongues before. Fine. I don't have anything. I don't have a problem with it. Um, I don't know if you've been to a church where people speak in tongues. Um, but if you haven't, it can be a little jarring. And so I go, and it's different. And a part of me is experiencing, like, wow, the church is so big and different, lots of different parts of the church. And part of me was like, this is really fascinating place. And I walked out. I, I was done with the experience, in uh, the service, sorry. And... Um, uh, I was right. I rode with them, him and two of his friends who go to this church. And that's where they began to tell me that until I spoke in tongues, I wasn't really saved. It's a relatively still common belief. Uh, I don't know if you've experienced this before, but, it, but it's a belief. The, the great irony of this is that one of the passages in the Bible that talks extensively about speaking in tongues. And I'm not going to unpack speaking in tongues today. 
the various theories on it, whether it's speaking another language so the gospel can be proclaimed or the spiritual gift of speaking other languages. Some people just learn languages better than others or whether it's an angelic tongue. There's a variety. I'm not going to get into that today. But one of the passages where speaking in tongues is addressed, it's addressed in the church in Corinth. And it was their go-to gift. People who spoke in tongues were elevated above all others. And Paul had some strong words about it because there was this great division happening in the community where a certain gift, specifically a public one that tended to be a little loud, you could replace it for preaching, you could replace it for something else. A public gift that was very loud, very pronounced, became the go-to gift that everyone had to have and if you didn't have it, then you were missing out like it was a beanie baby or whatever. Or what's popular now, I don't know. So let's look at this. First Corinthians chapter 12 is where it happens. Paul's going to address this division that's happening in the church, this division amongst various perspectives around what people have to offer. First uh, Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. You can put that up on the screen. He says this, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. So he's going to address this, because there's a problem in regards to elevating certain gifts above others. Now, about the gifts of the spirits, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, interesting way to address people, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. So this is, he said, you know, before you were a Christian at this time, you were often a person who worshipped various idols. So he says, therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. I want to focus on this phrase, Jesus is Lord. This is known as the oldest confession of the faith, sort of the oldest liturgy. Before all the great hymns were written, before all the great prayers were written, one of the earliest things that the church would say is Jesus is Lord. Together. Jesus is Lord. You should try it. Jesus is Lord. And Paul says this. The only way that you can tell if someone is being spiritual is if they say Jesus is Lord. And I think he means more than just say, doesn't he? Anyone can say Jesus is Lord. In fact, I think Jesus even talks about this in the, uh, uh, Matthew. You can say it. What he means here is the only real determining factor of whether somebody is following Jesus or not, get this, is whether they are following Jesus or not. That's it. The only determining factor between whether someone is following Jesus or not is actually whether they are following Jesus or not. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? Uh, a couple weeks ago, we looked at the Wesleyan prayer. Uh, it's a good summary of what it means to declare Jesus as Lord. It says this, I am no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what thou wilt, rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for thee or laid aside for thee, exalted for thee or brought low for thee. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartily all things to thy pleasure and disposal. It goes on, but that's the heart of it. Now, if you, didn't, if you weren't here for that week where we preached and we walked through ways to respond to this, you can check it on the podcast. And at the end of the pews, there should also be little magnets with that prayer. If, you, if, you, if you're seeing this for the first time and you're like, wow, that's really good, grab at the, uh, the sides, and there might be a few extra in the back. If you want, you can stick it right on your, on your fridge. There's a little magnet. There might be two stuck together, so be sure to, if, you're, if, you, if you're grabbing it, just to take one. But Paul says this. 
The only determining fact, the only thing we should be rank, if we're going to rank anyone at all or decide whether they're in or out, is are they living a life where Jesus is Lord? In other words, we have to replace all the cults of personality. We have to replace all those other things that we look up to and say, okay, I'm going to base my life on the person and work of Jesus. So he goes on. Verse 4, he says this. He says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. I want to spend uh, quite a few minutes with these verses, verses 4 through uh, um, uh, 6. Different kinds of gifts, different kinds of service, different kinds of working. Real quick, just for the sake of um, sharing with you all so you, you kind of know, I, I looked at, the, there's three different categories here. He's talking about there's different kinds of gifts, service, and work. Here's what that means. Gifts, uh, the root word for gift is grace, uh, which means it's a gift. Now, um, one of the popular understandings of spiritual gifts is that they're not the same as talents. Uh, talents are what you're born with. Spiritual gifts are what you receive. I'm, I'm fine with that. There's a lot of ways to look at it. Today, though, I'm going to be talking about spiritual gifts and talents basically synonymous. I'm, I'm talking about the things that make you unique. And I think some of the, the principles around spiritual gifts apply to talents regardless of how you look at it. And so what makes you unique? And here's what I can tell you. Whether you're talking about spiritual gifts that you get because you were baptized in the Holy Spirit or whether you're talking about talents you were born with. Here's what I, I got some news for you, friends. It was a gift. It was a gift. Now, you might have invested in that gift. You might have put a lot of energy into that gift. You might have, like, practiced a bunch with it and gotten really good at it. But the natural inclination, whatever you, you didn't do anything to earn that. See, what, part of what Paul's doing is he's trying to help us step down a little bit and stop taking all the credit for things. And so the first thing we have to understand is that the things that you're good at, the things that you have to offer, the things that you bring to the table, those are gifts to begin with. You don't need to take credit for The second thing he says, service, different kinds of service. The word for service comes from the Greek word to wait on tables. If you ever like, what does it mean to serve God? Just, just remember that. It means to wait on tables. This is master and servant language. When we say Jesus is Lord, that's what we're talking about, master and servant. And so to serve is to do those things that are necessary, that need to be done. They tend to be humble. There's lots of different ways to serve. A lot of different ways to wait tables. And the last word is work. The the Greek word here is enagema. I'm not saying that right. Um, But it's where we get the word energy. And it literally means the energizings or the results of our energy, the results of our power. It's, it's, it's almost like this idea of conjuring something. that You're like making it happen, you know, get it done, um, work. The, the results that produce, the, 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 the results that we produce because of the energy we put into something. So you're talking about these three different things. And there's different kinds of gifts that you have to offer. We're going to spend some time with that next week. There are things that you have that no one else has. We need you. I don't know what it is. I'm willing to help figure it out. But you have a part to play. And, and I believe this wholeheartedly. Friends, I might be the pastor of this church, but I promise you, I cannot do everything. And I'm not even interested in trying. Ten years ago, when I was young, energetic, maybe. Try to do everything. I can't. And friends, you can't do everything either. We need each other. 
in order to accomplish whatever God has called us to accomplish together, we need each other. Because there's different kinds of gifts, different kinds of service, different kind of work. Now, I want to pivot a little bit and talk about this verse from a different angle. The Corinthian church was a diverse church. It really was. Uh, there was significant diversity around socioeconomic uh, income. And we see this throughout the letter to the Corinthians. So there were some rich people who went to the church, and there were some less rich people, uh, or rich in other ways, uh, individuals. So people who were affluent, who had lots of resources, and those who maybe were not nearly as resource rich, who were struggling, living below the poverty line, or whatever the language was at that time. So it was very diverse, and this created a number of problems. It was also diverse in regards to spiritual gifts, and some gifts were lifted up as better than others, and that's, that's kind of the issues. Um, but uh, Paul, in this letter, in, in these verses specifically, he's trying to build a call to unity. He said, you know what? We're all different. We all have different gifts. We all have different kinds of service. We all have different kinds of works. But we're all serving the same God. Can't we just get along? And this is important. This is really important. There's one of the prayers of Jesus. Days or a day before, I think. He's going to die on the cross for all the sins of the world. And he's praying to the Father. And he's praying about the future Christians. And what does he pray for? Surely you know, some of you. He prays for unity. In fact, here, I think we have this first. Can we put it up? It's, uh, try the next one. Maybe I didn't put it in there. It's okay. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. The fact, you know, Jesus literally prays that we might be one. So I want to talk about what the, this conversation around diversity and unity, because we live in a culture that when there's division, there are cries for unity. A little over a year ago, I think I do have this in there. There's a picture. A little over a year ago, this happened. January 6th, the insurrection. I, I chose this picture on purpose, of course, because you can see the, the flag there in the bottom corner, the cross on it. It's the Christian flag. I won't get into the fact that Christianity has a flag and whether that's appropriate. That's for another sermon. But it's there nonetheless, and it meant something. I could have put up the Jesus and Trump flag. Now, I don't want to get too political, which is what everyone always says when they're about to get really political. I'm not going to say anything about the, the insurrection other than there's actually a really great documentary on HBO Max I, I recommend. We watched this week. It, it uh, interviews police officers involved. It interviews people who believe in what they were doing there and allows them to share their voice um, regardless of how you feel about it. And it pulls from hundreds of cell phone footage. I mean, it, you really experience it. And it was, I have, all I have to say after I watched it, it was much worse than I realized uh, from the media. So if you, if you have HBO Max or if you want to do a trial version, it's very worthwhile. You know, right, you know, it's the one year anniversary of it. I really encourage that documentary. That's all I'm going to say. But I, I, I share this to, to make one simple point. As soon as this happened, a certain segment of the political and religious world started making a cry for unity. 
Do you remember this? This is the time for us to be united. In the midst of unrest, it's not uncommon for leaders to call for unity. And particularly the right side of our country, both religiously and politically, after this was like, we, this is the time to be united. You can take that down. In Columbus, when there was racial unrest and there was a protest, uh, Black Lives Matter and, and all of the such, there was a group of churches in Columbus that I happened to be privy to. I got on some email lists, and they were going to do a, a march, but it wasn't going to be a march for racial justice. It was going to be a march for unity. unity. <laughs> the Birmingham letter in the jail, you guys know Martin Luther King Jr.? Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter. You know what that was response to? It's written by a, he was responding to a letter written by a group of clergy. Guess, guess what the title of their, their statement was? A call for unity. Now, don't get me wrong, unity is very, very important. And, and this is why I was kind of reflecting on this in this passage, because um, unity is essential. Jesus prayed for it, and we have to, okay, why does Jesus want to be, why does Jesus want us to be united? But lately, and in various parts of American history, I've been a little off-put by the way in which calls for unity have been placed. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to offer 1 Corinthians as a basis for when unity is an appropriate response. All right, there's three main divisions, conflicts that Paul is referring to in Corinthians, and he has a different response for each one. And here's the first one. All right, um, he, uh, uh, he refers to um, uh, people in the church in Corinth who were taking other people. You can put that down. I'll call it up. Um, he was referring to people in the church. There were certain people in the church who were suing other people. And what we find from the historical context is that many of them were um, the wealthy suing the poor. So there's this division, you know. And I'm sure there is good people on both sides of this problem. We should all just get along. Do you think that was Paul's response? Well, you already know his response. They put it up. Let's put it up again. This is what he said about that. I say this to shame you. (laughs) That is not a call to unity. Because there are people with power and influence who are hurting other people And I am not calling for you to be united. I am telling the people in power to stop it. All right, that's one example. Here's the second example in 1 Corinthians. Second example is this, and you just wait and I'll put it up. I'll tell you when to put it up. He, um, uh, once again, it was a rich and poor. I told you it was a very socioeconomically diverse church. And the rich um, were bringing their own supper to the Lord's communion, to the Lord's uh, supper. And then the poor didn't have any food because by the nature of not being resource rich. So they were coming without much resources. And they were all sharing in the Lord's supper. And the rich were eating and drinking tons of wine and getting a little buzzed. And the poor didn't have anything to eat. And that was supposed to be their communion time. Now, I'm sure you can imagine Paul's response was, look, there's good people on both sides, and we really should just get along. You know that's not his response. Put it up. He says a couple of things. Do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? 
What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. That is not a call to unity. This is a call to justice. He goes on, verse 11, 32. When we are judged in this way, he's judging them on behalf of the Lord, by the Lord, we are being disciplined. Not every division should be responded to with a call to unity. Some of them should be responded to with a call to justice. Now, the one place where he gets remotely close to a call to unity is in the passage we're looking at today, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where he says there are many gifts, there are many services, many works, but it's the same God who works through all of them. Same God that's able to look. So here's what I I want to say. The one place where he addresses a division that's happening and he provides something that's remotely similar to a call to unity, he does it by, by articulating one of the best, most beautiful passages ever written on the importance of diversity. So much so that I would say that a call to unity without a clear understanding of how power influences people and the ways in which power is played out in our gifts and our talents is not really a call to unity. Until we can really understand how we all have something to offer and that sometimes those things that we have to offer because of our place and our privilege actually puts us in a way in which we harm other people until we can have that honest conversation that my mere office as a pastor who's up front puts me in a place of power that can be easily abused. And all you have to do is look at the American church and a variety of denominations from the Baptists to the Catholics. And I don't mean to call out specific names, but I'm just saying there is abuse of power. Until we can have that honest conversation and a confession of the way in which power has been used, we can't have a conversation about unity. And so, here we are. And I want you all to know, as I said before, I believe that I am me. I'm just a tiny, I'm just a very small piece of the puzzle. Same size piece as all of you. That's how important you are. Whether you're online, in person, or listening to the podcast, or participating in some other church, I'm not a bigger piece of the puzzle. Do you hear me? This is important. Because you'll come to me and you'll be like, you'll expect more from me, and I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just a small piece of the puzzle, and I don't even have all the spiritual gifts. I don't know if you knew that. I'm pretty good at empathy and short bursts. Just FYI. There are people in my life who, if you're really struggling, I would love for them to sit at your bedside. And I will try in short bursts to be very kind. Do you, do you hear? I'm kind of being funny, but I'm being serious. I'm a small piece of the puzzle. You're a small piece of the puzzle, but you are a piece of the puzzle. I would say that cries for unity do not apply to every division or disagreement. There's... there's There's no more important lesson for our day and age than this one, I think. And I would say that cries for unity can't come without honest conversation about how we're so different from each other and what makes us alike. And and, and we can't really be united unless we understand our differences and we use them for a common goal, which is what he says next and where I'm going to end for today. He says, for the common goal in uh, verse 7, he says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. This, this goes against American culture on every level. 
If you want to get ahead in the workplace, and I've heard this conversation from people in our church, high-ranking individuals from various places, if you want to get ahead in the workplace, you've got to assert yourself. You almost have to build your own brand. You have to kind of build yourself up. And it's all about advancing your own career. Well, in the church, that is not how it's supposed to happen. God has given you talents, gifts, however you want to look at it, for one purpose, for the common good, not for your own status, not for your own advancement, but so that we could lift up the community for the common good. Which is another way of saying, we need what you have. I don't even know what you have, but I know we need it. And we're not complete without it. Which also means you matter. That we're going to grow as a church, we're going to grow as a community, we're going to change the world when we're able to come together. We really do live in a world where there's, everyone's building a brand, and famous pastors are famous because, not always because they're effective or even nice people, um, but because they're really good at building a brand. This is just the reality of the world we live in, and social media and capitalism and all these types of things. Uh, I mentioned the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast, which is worth checking out. Well, I, I have to be honest with you. I, I, had, I was pretty ambitious, especially when I was younger. I've been a pretty serious Christian for a pretty long time. So I thought I was going to be, you know, I thought I was a pretty big deal. And um, I remember one time when I was a youth pastor, I was a part-time youth pastor, $150 a week speaking of status symbols, and um, uh, serving this small United Methodist Church in this uh, city called Defiance, Ohio, at Trinity United Methodist Church. And I, was, I did Wednesday night, Sunday mornings, and I took them on a mission trip with YouthWorks. And I was driving in the van with a bunch of high schoolers, and I was talking to the adult leader with me. And I was, uh, a bit, was a pretty ambitious individual, and I was telling them that, you know, I wasn't sure that I was going to always be a youth pastor. I didn't mean that I was going to graduate and become a senior pastor someday. I like had aspirations of, I wanted, honestly, I wanted to be famous. Still part of me that still wants that. An increasingly small part of me. Sounds like a lot of work. I'm getting tired. It's not easy. But there was a part of me that, well, you know, like I wanted to be well known. And this adult leader who was one of the more wise people I've known in my life, one of those people I'd probably list as being influential. She said to me, well, maybe it's not about being famous, but you know, thinking about who you're famous to, because you're pretty famous to those kids in the back. Pretty simple, pretty hallmarky type of thing to say, but it stuck with me. Who are you famous to? Who, who you know, what gifts are you using that next year, 30 years from down, down the road, somebody sits in here and a pastor asks, name somebody who's had a huge impact on your faith and that no one else would know, who's going to say your name? We have to let go of our desire to make a name for ourselves and start living with a desire to lift each other up. There was a principle that I decided on a couple years ago when we were doing a series on eating, uh, on food, food theology. And uh, I think it's fine to read books by famous people and to learn from a variety of sources. I think it's especially good if they're an expert in their field. I'm, I'm a big fan of experts who've spent years and years studying something. But I don't think it's wise to become a disciple of someone, a student of them, to learn primarily from someone you could never sit down and have lunch with. It's a simple principle. 
I've said it before, I'll say it again, is the person where you're receiving the majority of your spiritual input. Somebody you could say, hey, can we grab coffee? Hey, can you come over for dinner? I know, COVID, you know, maybe not, but like outside of that. That's what it means to be a community that we use our gifts for the common good. By lowering ourselves down and not making it about any one person, we're able to lift all of us up and we're able to use all of our gifts. And friends, this is good news. Because here, you have something to offer. And by the end of the series, I hope you'll be able to identify that. We're going to spend some time talking about it, especially spend this time where we spend a whole sermon just talking about those who feel like they have nothing to offer or those who are struggling with imposter syndrome. Okay, we're going to spend some time with that. You have something to offer, I promise. It might be simple, simply waiting tables or whatever, but you have something to offer. And the other good news is, is you don't have to do everything. You know that guilt that we sometimes feel because we didn't, we didn't feel like we did enough or we didn't, you know, Joe talked about Little Bottoms again and I haven't gone. Hey, guess what? God's not calling everyone to serve at the Little Bottoms. I hope Heidi's not listening. But that's the reality. We can't do everything. You can't do everything. If you try, you'll get burned out. We all have a part to play, and you play that part, and I'm so grateful for the part that you get to play. And that's what it means. I'm going to pray. The band can come up and get ready. God, we come before you, and I just give you thanks. I give you thanks for um, working in our hearts and our minds. Um, God, we ask that you would help build a community here that really is about community. That you would get, encourage us to do the hard work of wrestling with ourselves about why we do what we do and what we have to offer and be willing to give that generously away. Not for our own advancement, but for the betterment of this world and for the common good. Help us, Lord, to have those hearts, those servant hearts that just really want to love you and love others without agenda. God, help us to strive for unity that is not short of justice. That we're able to have the hard conversations around how power plays out in this world and how it plays out with different gifts and different personalities and different privileges. So that we actually might be united. That we can dismantle and undo all of those unhealthy pressures that are placed on a variety of people in a variety of positions that we might be a community together. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.